Hi, this is Ben Lola, back to the Bible Canada, and today we're continuing in our series Celebrating Our Freedom in Christ with Dr. John Newfeld. We'll be presenting a message today called When Compromise is Good, found in our Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. Let's join Dr. Newfeld now. I think we've all heard it. Don't compromise your faith. Don't live like the world. Be different from the culture in which you live. Be known for your distinctiveness. And then, of course, your parents might have asked you, you know, when you're trying too hard to fit in, if everyone's jumping off a cliff, would you do the same? Of course, they wanted you to be known as someone who thought for himself or herself, who didn't just go along to get along. Let me say that this is good advice in most circumstances, but did you know, in some circumstances, this is very bad advice and you shouldn't follow it at all. In some circumstances, you really should compromise and not be known for your distinctiveness at all. In some circumstances, you should blend into the culture. Now, what do I mean? Hudson Taylor, the great 1800s missionary to China, whose labors really did open that country to the gospel of Jesus, struggled with how to reach the Chinese people with the good news of Christ. He was frustrated when he noticed that the majority of Western missionaries lived in port cities, in missionary compounds, writing letters home in order to receive support, and who knew precious little about Chinese culture and had almost no engagement with the Chinese people themselves. And so he formed the China Inland Mission in 1865. In contrast to all other foreign missionaries, he insisted that his missionaries actually adopt Chinese clothing, wear it, fit in, become like them. But of course, Taylor went much further than simply wearing Chinese clothing. He ate Chinese food using Chinese implements. He, he lived among the Chinese in Chinese housing. He learned the languages of the people he was trying to reach. He observed their customs and etiquette. He refused protection from the British consulate, insisting on no special privileges because of his British citizenship. His hair was shaved, and he wore a bianzai, a kind of a pigtail that was common among Chinese men of that day. Indeed, his fellow European missionaries ridiculed him, but he was undeterred. He argued that he was trying to imitate Jesus, who became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, Taylor was not trying to be distinct from the culture, but to immerse himself fully in it. The only distinction he wanted was the distinction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wrote, in wearing Chinese clothing, the Western missionary, when his dress attracts less notice, his words attract more. Indeed, the Chinese people got the sense that they were not Taylor's project, but rather that Taylor had entered into the world that they lived in and loved them. See, I think Hudson Taylor learned that attitude from the Apostle Paul. I'm reading 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law... I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 
I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Now, rather than dive right into our passage, I think it best to begin where Paul ends in verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. See, Paul's not trying to fit in in order to fit in or because he had no sense of his own identity or because he was, as some people are, despisers of their own culture. Instead, he believed that what the gospel demanded from him is that it take priority over all other parts of his life. And if I might, I think that's the key. I think too many discussions about Christian freedom are held among us in a way that's completely divorced from the way in which the Bible discusses that subject. You know, should Christians be allowed to shop on Sundays or get tattoos or drink alcohol or entertain themselves in nightclubs? I mean, you know the list and I know the list. And we, in fact, are not talking about our freedoms, but our rights. We say, I have a right to, and then you fill in the blank and then you add, no one should have the right to judge me for that. See, what's absent in our discussion is gospel advancement. I mean, consider, for instance, just a generation ago, what we called the music wars in local churches. Look, from my perspective, there were some things we should have gone to war for and others that were just silly. You know, from my perspective, the theology of what we sing, the words we sing, is something that we need to go to war for. See, there are some songs that we should never sing. Now, I would also argue that we should go to war over the, the volume of the music for this reason only, because the louder the music, the less likely people are to sing. And congregational singing, I mean, stepping forward to worship with our voices is what we want to foster in young and old alike. But when it comes to the style, I mean, contemporary or traditional country music or classical music, my response is that the gospel or gospel advancement takes precedence. Tell me the style of the music that will relate best to the culture of non-Christians around me, and that stands the best chance of reaching out to them. And that's the music that I want. I mean, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Well, now I guess I've alienated a great number of people, and I hope you're going to forgive me, but I actually think that all the clothing in the world is not as important as the gospel and as many people as possible coming to faith. And so when so many of us think of questions that divide believers, the discussion of the gospel, its advancement, our witness, how we might make an appeal to the lost, well, those questions frequently appear to many of us like separate questions. We want the question of meat sacrifice to idols as the matter of discussion apart from any other question, but not to Paul. For him, the idea of freedom was the freedom that God had given him to advance the gospel of Jesus. And in this, I find myself in a bit of a quandary. See, no one has a heart hunger for the lost because some Bible teacher has beat it into them. God's Holy Spirit places this passionate desire into our hearts. You either have the desire for gospel advancement or you don't. But if you do, if your heart's cry is like that of John Knox who prayed, Lord, give me Scotland or I die, or Lord, Give me my culture or I die. Well, if you have that in you, I suspect that becomes paramount. Look, I grew up in a church in which we had the language wars. Should we switch from German to English? I remember people's tears as they talked about losing their culture. But I never saw the same tears of grief about the possibility of some in our community never hearing the gospel. You see, in this 
passionate debate about hundreds of things in which we disagree. Paul, as it were, snaps our head around and he calls out, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. You see, it's impossible to understand God's calling in our lives until we embrace that one phrase. You know, to be able to say that men and women would hear the saving news of Christ and because of that would come to believe, I mean, that's the greatest motivation that I have. Every once in a while, some of you have heard me pray that I have this request of the Lord, that it, that it might be impossible to live in this country without having to decide what to do about Jesus. Look, I pray that way for two reasons. You know, first, I'm very well aware that not everyone is going to believe. Indeed, Jesus himself made that plain, so I, for one, hold no favor with those who love to call everyone who's not a Christian simply a pre-Christian. I mean, that kind of language strikes me as arrogant and presumptive and acts as if we understand the secret counsels of God, and we don't. And if we're honest, we're going to have to admit that Jesus said that narrow is the road that leads to life, and there are only a few that find it. We're going to have to content ourselves with that. But on the other hand, listen hard to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. Paul writes, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God and I say this to your shame. So for the apostle Paul, it is not to our shame if some are not saved, but it is to our shame if some have no knowledge of God, that there are those who would be born in this country and would grow up in this country and grow old in this country and die in this country and have no knowledge of God. That's, that's a matter of shame for all believers. And so back to Paul's declaration. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. That statement reflects just how far a man would go so that the gospel of Jesus would be as widely permeated as possible. And so 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23 tells us that one man would do anything for the sake of the gospel. And what we will find is that he mentions three categories of people whom he will attempt to reach and how he has used his freedom in Christ to reach as many people as possible. And we do well to learn from him and apply this to our own lives. These are challenging days. Many across Canada find themselves in circumstances that they would have never imagined. In times of crisis, we often find ourselves searching for something to place our confidence in. And for many, that means a rediscovery of faith. Maybe you're experiencing this yourself. This is the reason Back to the Bible Canada is steadfastly committed to offering Bible teaching you can trust every day with every medium possible, including this radio program. In short, we're committed to remaining faithful in declaring the trustworthy Bible teaching you've come to expect. Wherever people are searching for God, we want to be there. Your support of all the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, including Laugh Again and our young adult ministry in doubt, is essential. To discover more about these ministries, to receive Dr. Neufeld's new series, Bible Teaching You Can Trust, on CD for free, or to offer a gift to support this Bible teaching ministry, call one 800 663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca Let's start to read 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Remember that this paragraph is in a wider context, which is all about freedom. Paul has been arguing that in order to strengthen weak believers, 
Indeed, in order to refrain from wounding their consciences and causing them to stumble, Christians in Corinth should use their freedom by refraining from eating meat sacrificed to idols. You can't advance the gospel when you're harming believers in your own church. And so Paul has put himself forward as an example. He used his freedom and has refused a salary for his work so that no one would take their eyes off of the gospel and start concentrating on money. And then from these two examples, eating meat sacrificed to idols and receiving a salary, he comes to a conclusion about freedom. He says he's free from all, but has made himself a servant to all. Now, please notice that Paul is not saying that he's free from all things, but rather he's free from all men or all people. He means, I think, that he's free from the restricting expectations that some might have of him, but that he's not free from the genuine needs that people might have. Let's play with that idea for a moment. In John 5, 41, Jesus makes a statement. He says, I do not receive glory from people. And then several verses later, in verse 44 of the same chapter, he says to the Jewish leaders who refuse to believe in him, he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, there are people whose actions in life are dominated by what other people think of them or by what other people might say of them. The acceptance or rejection of people, what we call the love of people's applause, or the fear of their rejection is what motivates them. And according to Jesus, you can't believe in him and love the applause of people at the same time. You either are motivated by the applause of heaven or the applause of earth. You either hunger for people's compliments or you hunger for the smile of your savior. But these two are different things. See, truth be known, some of us are enslaved by others. And Paul had come to that marvelous place in his life where he had experienced this this wonderful freedom, the freedom from negative opinions that others had of him. Remember, some said he didn't preach as well as others, and some said that he's not as impressive as the other apostles. Now, truly, to be free from the biting comments of others, that's a marvelous freedom. But when I say that, it's very important to explain that statement. See, there are people who don't care about what others think about them, That's because they don't care about others. They have no love, no concern, no care for the implication of their actions on the lives of others. They have a kind of a devil-may-care attitude, self-serving individuals who frequently leave harm in their wake. They seem far more concerned with themselves than they do with the harm that their actions have caused to others. And that's not Paul's attitude. Nor does he think that such an attitude demonstrates any freedom at all. He says he is free from all, but that he has made himself a servant of all. You know, when we hear him saying that, I mean, we might think of a very similar statement that he made in Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. He was deeply concerned for others, and he never could free himself from others. See, how many of us wouldn't want a Christian leader who's free from the opinions of others and yet served out of love for others and is ultimately motivated by a desire to reach the lost? But how does that work out in practical terms? Well, Paul now gives three categories or three different kinds of people that he was able to reach because of the freedom that Christ gave him. So here's category number one found in verse 20. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. 
Now, in some ways, that statement might strike us as, well, rather strange. Paul hardly became a Jew in the way that Hudson Taylor became Chinese because Paul was a Jew. I mean, some of you might remember Philippians 3 in which he outlines his pedigree. I mean, circumcised on the eighth day, the way you're supposed to be. He knew his tribal heritage. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He calls himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But Paul had moved so far beyond his heritage, becoming a missionary to the Gentiles. But please notice that everywhere he went, he always began to preach in the synagogues. And that wasn't just an act, but it was based upon what he truly knew. God had chosen Israel as a special people. In Romans 9, verses 2 and 3, he speaks of the great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart for the salvation of the Jewish people. And then in Romans 9, verse 4, he says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. You know, whenever Paul was with his own people, he was always quick to remind them of the special place that they had in God's redemptive purposes. And when with Jews, he spoke this way about their heritage, not as a strategy, but because he genuinely believed that. Now, continue reading in verse 20. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Now, some explanation is required here. With the coming of Christ, Paul knew that the Jewish dietary restrictions were no longer necessary. And so when he says not being under the law, he doesn't mean that he's free to break the Ten Commandments, but he's free from those laws that related especially to the uniqueness of the Jewish nation. See, as an example of what he means, listen to Acts 16, verse 3. It says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And, you know, so we see that in order to speak into the lives of those in the Jewish community, he would never get beyond Timothy's uncircumcision. And so he simply became as one under the law. That is, he used his freedom to take away the offense so that the issue under discussion was the gospel and not circumcision. Not a category number two found in verse 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And again, we notice that Paul makes it clear that he's not violating the moral demands of the law, but that he is free of those aspects of the law that Christ has made plain are either ended because of his sacrifice or that deal uniquely with the Jewish situation. And so if you're familiar, for instance, with the book of Galatians, you'll find out that at one time, Paul and Peter were in a dispute. Paul found that Peter had withdrawn from the Gentiles because he had been intimidated by the Judaizers. I mean, before the Judaizers showed up, Peter was eating non-kosher food with Gentiles, but then he stopped. And Paul believed that in doing that, Peter was denying the gospel. Christ had come for the Gentiles, and refusal to adapt to their culture was, in fact, denying them of the gospel. See, we need to get a picture of Paul, the converted Jewish Pharisee, who ate bacon and eggs for breakfast with uncircumcised pork-eating Gentiles in order to win some of them. But he never did that around Jews. And then to category three, and this really might be the highlight of Paul's freedom. Verse 22 says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. Now, we might wonder who Paul is referring to. Well, you know, from the context, he's obviously speaking 
about those who are intimidated by idols' temples and who are now feeling guilty. But Paul also might have in mind there are those who have not yet grasped the full extent of the gospel. To those who had difficulty understanding this man of a towering intellect who had received more insight into the gospel than any man alive, Paul says, I have learned to communicate more simply, even to repeat myself so that all might understand. And with that, Paul adds, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Notice again, Paul's not speaking about sinning or even about changing the message which remains unaltered. He's speaking about adapting himself to the lives of people so that the only message they confront is not culture or education or tradition, but the message of the gospel. And that, my friends, is freedom. Freedom to do whatever can be done so that the maximum number of people might hear and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. So how about you? Would you like to use your freedom in Christ for the advancement of the gospel? See, that's what I've been arguing for. Please don't think about the choices in life as isolated from the wider whole. It's about Jesus and making him known so that everyone in this land would come to know that Jesus is Lord and that by receiving him in faith, they might have life in his name. John, this message is filled with all kinds of things from from worship to behavior to everything, but really it comes down to your definition of freedom, doesn't it? Freedom's not about just doing whatever I want to do. There's a purpose for freedom, and that's to advance the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. The real definition, I think, of freedom is, is there something that you can't give up for the gospel? And if you can't, then you're not free yet. So I'm going to tell a little story on you, Ben, if I'm allowed to. Your daughter once told me that she came home and dad had given away the kitchen table to someone who needed it. I just think I was so moved by that because I recognize I'm working with a man who says, for the sake of the gospel, I'd gladly give up the kitchen table. And I think maybe all of us need to ask, are there kitchen tables in our lives? Things that I'd say, I'd never sacrifice that to the gospel. And to the extent that that's the case, we're still in bondage. We're still being held by the things of this earth. And, you know, our death is coming very soon. And we're going to give all that stuff up anyway. So really the question is, are you free enough in Christ so that you can respond to him whenever he calls you, no matter what it is? Thanks so much, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Every week in Doubt, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, airs a new insightful conversation about issues of life and faith targeted to a young adult audience. These conversations include Christian pastors and leaders from around the globe discussing important topics from a biblical perspective. Topics such as the sanctity of life or forgiveness, sexuality, the church, issues of mental health, loneliness, abuse, always with the intention of offering a biblical response. Join In Doubt on air on the indoubt.ca website, the Indoubt mobile app, or subscribe for our weekly podcast. We live in a time and place where the daily questions of life and faith are challenging. We believe the Bible will guide us toward truth and, and challenge us to live radically different lives. 
For more information about Endowed or if you'd like to support this ministry, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit endowed.ca.